Note to self, always give Drew suggestions for the music for the roll-in. Never know what you're going to get. Um, if, you were, if you want to have some interesting conversations this week, go up to people and ask them if they go to church. And, and you're, not trying to, you're not trying to proselytize anything like that. You go up to people and you say, do you go to church anywhere? If they say yes, you go, good deal. If they say no, ask them why. And I'm willing to bet every reason they give you for why they don't go to church is something I hate about church as well. I think that every church in existence has to constantly fight for what is the most important things that a church should be doing. Every church naturally drifts away from um, the things that God told us to do because we get caught up in who we are and what we want and what we think we should do, and we get away from what God wants us to do. But I think that, that if you want to know what God intends for a church, church the way it should be, if you want to know what that's like, you got to go back to the very first church that was established on the planet. And that's talked about in the New Testament in a book called Acts. Now, the first three-fourths, two-thirds, three-fourths of the Bible is what we call the Old Testament. The Old Testament is anything before Jesus Christ came on the planet. Then you get to the New Testament. The first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're called Gospels. And Gospels just means good news because the good news is about Jesus Christ. Almost everything you know about Jesus, all of his miracles, all the things, the stories you've heard uh, are contained in those first four books of the New Testament. And really his ministry was three years long, from 30 to 33. He died at 33. So all of those things, that happens in the New Testament in the first four books. Then we get to this book called Acts. And, and it's, the, it's the story of what happened when Jesus left. You remember there were 12 apostles. Those were the inner circle that walked with Jesus. He chose them. Judas, one of those 12, betrayed Jesus. Jesus was hung on a cross. Three days later, he resurrected from the dead. And, and then he, he makes appearances to people. This is the really cool thing about the Bible. The Bible tells us that he appeared to, to people over a period of 40 days and, and at one point towards the end of that, he appeared to 500 witnesses at the same time. So when we talk about people seeing Jesus rise from the dead, there are hundreds of people that were eyewitnesses to that account. And so we get to uh, the book of Acts and, and the disciples are asking, okay, now what? Well, here's what you need to know about the book of Acts. I got to give you a little bit of, of uh, background and then we're going to study this for the next six weeks, the book of Acts. First thing is Jesus is gone. Number one on your listening guide. Now what? Jesus is gone, now what? Acts answers the question, now what? It's the story of what happens after Jesus left. Um, it's, it's been called the Acts of the Apostles. It's been called the Acts of, the, of the, uh, the First Church. It's been called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's what happened after Jesus left. Now, you've got to understand that um, when Jesus left, there was no church organization. There were no buildings. There was no denomination that, that existed all these guys knew to do was to tell the hundreds of people that had become followers of Jesus. All they knew was, here's what Jesus did. Here's what Jesus said. And the thrust of their whole message was, whether you believe it or not, whether you like it or not, we saw a dead man walking and our lives have never been the same. That was the whole message of Christianity. So you come to the book of Acts, now what? And, and Jesus says these words. These are his last words before he leaves the planet in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. 
But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people everywhere, people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Not long after he said these words, he ascends into the sky. He goes back to hang with God. He disappears into the clouds. And that's really what ascended means. He goes back from, his, from being here on earth to live with God forever in heaven until he returns again. But his last words were, you will receive power and you'll tell people about me everywhere. So the result of Jesus living on this planet for three years, teaching and, and walking around, the result of his ministry was we have a job to do. The job is you will tell people about me everywhere. What does everywhere mean? Everywhere. Thank you. You're paying attention. So this means we have a purpose. Because of Jesus coming to the planet, he left us a purpose. He says, I'm out of here. It's your turn. And he wants us to carry on the job that he gave us to do. Tell people about him everywhere. And that's one of the things the church should be doing. That should be one of the primary purposes of any church is telling people about God. The church was never intended to be a country club. It's never intended to be a social gathering where the people who have it get in and the people that don't have it are kept out. That is not the way God designed the church. The first job we're supposed to do is we're to tell everybody everywhere about God. Some of you would never have heard about Jesus without a church. As imperfect as churches are, and every church is imperfect, we're imperfect. We're just very honest about it right here. By the way, if you ever find a perfect church, please do not join it because it won't be perfect anymore because you'll be there, right? We're just being honest. Got to keep it real. <laughs> the church, as imperfect as it is, is God's plan A for, for carrying out the job of telling people everywhere about God. And there is no plan B. So don't you ever tell me, you want to see me fired up, you tell me that church is insignificant. You tell me that church doesn't matter. It is plan A of carrying on the, the message and ministry and purpose and job of Jesus Christ. Now, that's the first thing you got to know is that Jesus is gone. Acts answers now what? The result of Jesus' ministry is a job to do. Second thing you need to know about the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit becomes permanent. This is number two on your listening guide. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit existed because he's part of the, the triune God. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They have existed forever. But in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come on people temporarily to carry out an assignment. This happened in times of war when God would raise up a leader. And look in the book of Judges. Every judge, the Holy Spirit came upon them and gave them wisdom to carry out a task. But when the task was finished, the Holy Spirit departed. When they built the tabernacle, which was the place they worshipped in the Old Testament, there were incredible objects that they, uh, uh, ornate decorations that they had on different things. There were, there were things made of gold, and, and God sent His Holy Spirit temporarily to come on these people, these master craftsmen, to build the tabernacle. And it is fabulous if you read the description, the detail that God gave them. God temporarily sent the Holy Spirit to come on these people and allow them to accomplish something great for God. But when the task was done... The Holy Spirit departed. But in the New Testament, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit and he becomes permanent in the lives of believers, followers of Christ. Another term for the Holy Spirit is the helper. Another term is the comforter. So Jesus says, I'm leaving. It's your turn. But I'm not leaving you because I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. I'm sending you a helper. I'm sending you a comforter to help you carry out this job that I've given you to do. And one of the main principles of following Jesus 
is that you don't have to do it on your own. People ask, is, is it hard to follow Christ? And I say, no, it's not hard. It is impossible to follow Christ on your own. You cannot do it on your own. You've got to have God's Holy Spirit living inside you to empower you to carry out God's plan and to follow Him. You've got to have the Holy Spirit, and that's what happens in Acts. All right, chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Seven weeks after Jesus' resurrection, the believers were meeting together in one place. All right, seven weeks after Jesus has come back from the dead, all the believers are gathered in one place, and he's already ascended back to heaven. And the believers are, are sitting around, and they're saying, this Jesus thing is real. This God thing is real. And they look back, and they're thinking about all the things he had taught them over three years, and they're going, he predicted his death, because he did several times. He just flat out said, men are going to crucify me. After three days, I'm going to rise again. And they start talking about that. They say, it's real. He predicted it. Not only did he predict that he was going to be crucified on a cross, but he predicted that on the third day, he would rise again. And they start thinking about all this stuff. And then Jesus said, go and wait for the promised uh, gift of the Holy Spirit. So he predicted before his death, he predicted that the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Helper was going to come on them. So they're all gathered in one place and they're praying and they're saying, okay, God, we're waiting on you. We need to know what to do next. Verse 2, suddenly there was a sound like the roaring of a mighty windstorm in the skies above them and it filled the house where they were meeting. You been in a windstorm? Let me see your hand. Anybody been in a, in a windstorm where you're going, hold on to body parts because they may be flying off? Right? That type of windstorm? I don't know. I've been in those. I've been in lots of... I've seen tornadoes. I've been on the edge of tornadoes. Uh, but let's imagine that the worst windstorm that you've ever heard of, seen, been a part of, imagine that it's taking place in this room. That'd be memorable, wouldn't it? In a metal building. Now, we've all been in windstorms, and, and I was thinking about this, and uh, I thought about last week... Y'all remember when, when there were two or three days of, of thunderstorms right in a row? Remember that? First day, you know, I'm, I'm looking out. I was supposed to go mow a lawn, and then it... I'm like, not only am I not going, I'm staying in because there's, there's thunder, lightning. It was a big deal. And I watched the weather that night, and they said that the same thing was supposed to happen the next day, the same weather pattern. It was supposed to get hot all during the day, and then it, in the evening, sometime afternoon or evening, it was going to come loose. And so all afternoon, I'm thinking, I need to go mow that lawn that I didn't get done yesterday. And, and so I got to hurry. I, was, I had a, a table saw out in the yard, and I'm cutting this big old piece of wood. And, and as, as I finish cutting the piece of wood, I'm thinking, man, I got to hurry because it's starting to sprinkle. And you look up in the skies, and I mean, it's one of those, you know it's coming. And you're thinking, it's just a matter of time. It's not a matter of if, it's, it's when it's going to hit, and I need to hurry up. So I'm hurrying, cutting my piece of wood, putting my table saw back under, underneath the, the shelter. And, uh, and I needed a tool for my car. So as I go walking to my car, this bolt of lightning comes flying from the heavens. Now, I don't see it directly, but it's coming out of the corner of my eye, and it looks like it hits in the backyard, all right? And it's one of those that when it hits, simultaneously, the earth shakes. It is so loud. And in one of those times when, you know, you're scared because you don't even know what's going on, I'm thinking, I got to get out of here. I jump straight up in the air. Now, adrenaline hits. See, and I'm, I'm not really a person that gets scared too often, but this sucker was so close, and I'm thinking, holy cow, that I jump up and I do, I do this little run in the air. <laughs> and, and I'm thinking, wow. And so, I mean, it's, it's one of those, and I'm way up there, and when I hit the ground, man, I'm at my car because I'm thinking, i got to get in somewhere. Well, when I was sawing, 
I remember hear, hearing a voice. You know, sometimes you'll, you'll hear things. And, and so I, I had looked across while I was sawing and I saw somebody sitting out front talking on their cell phone on their porch. About the time I get to my car, y'all know when y'all fall down, what do you do? You look around and see if anybody saw you. I get to my car and I think, oh, I wonder if that dude's still on the front porch. So I turn around. Dude is falling off of the chair, laughing, pointing at me. Yes, he saw it. And I, I was not at all embarrassed. Because I guarantee you, homeboy jumped too. Just nobody saw it. It was one of those, it would shake you up. You better have gone to the bathroom type deals because if you hadn't, you're gonna. You know, it's one of those. Now, imagine if that clap of thunder and that flash of lightning happened right here, right now. Only it wasn't a single clap. It's one that goes on and on and on and on. Do you think anybody... Because this is one that the whole city of Jerusalem heard. Do you think anybody would come to see what's going on? We got a trailer house back here. I guarantee you they're going to come. We got houses over there. People are going. People from Tyler, television stations are going to come. What's going on in this building? Now, in, in Jerusalem, the doors and the windows were open. So everybody was there. And they hear it and, and they come. It was the sound of a mighty rushing wind. It wasn't a, mush, a rushing wind, but it was sounding like it. And they're going, what is happening? And that's what happens. Everybody shows up to see this strange event. Verse 3. Then, look, then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on their heads. I bet nobody saw this one coming. <laughs> the believers are meeting in this one place. Jesus has said, I'm leaving you, but I'm not leaving you. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And uh, all these people, seven weeks after Jesus is, is gone, he's resurrected, he's gone, he sends the Holy Spirit. And anyone looking at the believers, they see these strange things. I can't fully explain this because I wasn't there. In heaven, I hope there's a DVR because I want to see it. Flames come down and they just kind of hover over the heads of the believers. This was an outward symbol that these people belong to God. So when you've got thousands of people gathering trying to see what's going on, it was real clear who were the God followers and who weren't. You have flames, you follow God. You don't have flames, you're not a God follower. And then something really, really strange happens. God gets their attention. Look at verse 4. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in languages they didn't know, for the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Now, some of you have heard the term tongues, speaking in tongues. The very first instance of speaking in tongues in the scriptures is right here, and it means languages, spoken languages on the planet, but not spoken by the people who are speaking them. Now, let me explain this. This is a big deal because what's going on is there's a feast in Jerusalem. In the Israelite uh, nation, there were three feasts where all of the men, three feasts every year where the men of the family, because they were the spiritual leaders, they were supposed to make this trek to Jerusalem for three different feasts. One of them was uh, the Feast of First Fruits. Now, that's associated with the Passover. If you've heard anything about the Passover, you know that Jesus died on the Passover at the same time. The Passover was celebrating what happened way back in Egypt when the Israelites came out of slavery. They had to sacrifice an innocent lamb, so an innocent third party who was sinless, had to be sacrificed. The blood had to be put on the doorposts 
of, of their house and the death angel who was coming, this was the 10th plague sent to uh, the Pharaoh, the death angel would come. If, if the innocent third party died, so guilty sinners got to go free, the death angel would look, see the blood on the doorpost and pass over that house. So they were commemorating Passover. And, and that happens on Friday. Jesus died at the exact moment that the sacrificial lamb was being, cruci- uh, was being killed in the temple. Jesus is out on the cross dying. Exact moment. Telling us that he becomes the once for all sacrifice for sins. The human sacrifice to end all sacrifices. That's why we don't do sacrifices anymore. Because Jesus died on the cross. That's Passover. The, the festival of first fruits, though, happens on that Sunday that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. First fruits, what happened was they were supposed to plant all of their crops. They were to pray to God and ask God to give them crops. And the very first thing that, that pops up out of the ground, they're supposed to harvest that, take that and offer it to God as an offering to say, thank you, God, you are the giver of all life. You are the sustainer of life. Here's what's going on, God. We thank you. And so... They would take a a stalk of grain, they would cut it off, and the priest would wave this before God at at the feast of first fruits, saying, God, everything comes from you, and we are acknowledging that, and we are dependent upon you. God is a God of details. I tell you this all the time. Jesus Christ rose on the morning of the celebration of first fruits. And if you've read the New Testament, you know Jesus is called the first fruits of all those who are resurrected from the dead. And anyone who follows Jesus Christ will be resurrected. And every shred of evidence for Jesus' resurrection from the dead is evidence that you too, as a follower of Christ, will be resurrected from the dead because he was the first fruits. All right, so when Jesus died, all of the men were supposed to be there. Now we're told later in this chapter, I'm not going to read those verses, but 9 through 11, we're told that every nation, every known nation on the planet. And basically what this was, if you take a ring around the Mediterranean Sea, there were people from every one of those countries in Jerusalem celebrating Pentecost. Now, Pentecost is the Greek term for it, and it just means 50 days. So what would happen is this is the uh, celebration of, uh, this is the feast of the harvest, the feast of weeks. And what, what Pentecost means is a week of weeks. Seven weeks, 50 days. And what they would do here is this was at the end of the harvest. They would take the harvest. They would say, God, thank you again for everything that you've given us. They would bake two loaves of bread and they would offer it to God. And what it became symbolic of in the Old Testament when God gave them the law. They were celebrating, God, you gave us your word, the Bible. You gave us your word. We're celebrating that. But in the New Testament, in the Christian church, It becomes a celebration of when the Holy Spirit was given, when the church was born. And the the symbolism of the two breads, two loaves of bread, if you go all the way back into the Old Testament, God tells Abraham when he chooses the Israelites to be his chosen people among all the races of people on the planet, he says to Abraham, I will bless every nation through you. You get into the New Testament and you find out that in the temple, there were certain places that women couldn't go because men were the spiritual leaders, there were certain places that that Gentiles could not go. But Jesus tears down the walls of separation between male and female, between Jew and Gentile. And so the two loaves of bread represent Jews that are going to come follow Christ and us. Anybody who's not a Jew is a Gentile who come to follow Christ. Incredible! God's got a detail. I liked it. I don't know if you like it. 
I don't care if you like it. Um, so they're celebrating here the giving of, of the Holy Spirit. And everybody was in town. And everybody spoke a different language. Now, by this point, you got about 120 followers of Jesus. They got the flames above their head. And you've got every nation known to man represented. How could they possibly tell everyone about God's glorious deeds? They couldn't. But God could. The very first miracle here is the sound of the mighty rushing wind that's not a rushing wind. Gathers everyone around. Then the second thing is these flames. And then the third thing is everybody hears about God in their own language. Incredible. Do y'all think that's pretty cool? I'm pumped. Okay, here's the sequence so far. Jesus says, I'm leaving. It's your turn, but I'm not leaving you on your own. I'm going to send you my Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes on a group of believers, do you know what the result is? Power. Now, when you think about power, what do you think about? We were in Walmart yesterday or Friday killing some time before a movie. And we went by one of those muscle magazines. And I think Rachel goes... That's gross. I mean, everything. Eyelids have muscles, you know. This dude is massive. And Caleb goes, can you say steroids? I'm like, yeah, that is not attractive. What we tend to think of is, is that, somebody who's massive, a big football player, maybe a big UFC fighter, not like big country because he's fat. Dude, that was awesome. I don't know if y'all ever watched that, but when people hit big country in the stomach in slow motion, it looks like a bowl of jello. And he got beaten up by the big, strong, powerful guy last night. But anyway, that's another story. When we think of power, we, we tend to think of physical power. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about spiritual power, and it's completely different. Spiritual power says you walk through life with the light switch flipped on where you see things and you anticipate things. It's like having... It's like having God's presence in you. It's just like having God's presence in you. You have God's power. You've got God's presence. In fact, His power comes from His presence. And the reason so many believers in Christ are weak and failing and miserable is because they're not tapped into the power of God through the Holy Spirit. Because when God shows up, God does God-sized things, He gets the credit, and we just go, Oh, man, thanks for letting me be a part of that. That's the type of power I'm talking about. Now, when we talk about this, some people understand it, some people don't. Same thing that happened back in the New Testament. Look at verse 12. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. But others in the crowd were mocking. They're all drunk, that's all. Now, okay, you got to understand. If you're a good Jew, which you, you would be if you're in the, the holy city in Jerusalem for these festivals, the guys who weren't good Jews, they weren't going to make the trek. It was expensive. It took time. Had to be away from their families. If you were a good Jew, you were forbidden to have anything to drink until 10 a.m. or noon. Peter gets up and he goes, guys, you can think we're drunk, but it's only 9 a.m. None of us here touched a drop. And then he goes on to tell all about Jesus and, and he preaches this sermon and 3,000 people get saved. And So what's happening is tons of people gather. Some are amazed. Some mock. It's what happens every week at New Life. And, and I, I mean that in all seriousness. 
Every week we have some people come and they're amazed. And every week we have some people come and they mock. A couple of weeks ago, Jason Selman preached. And uh, as soon as it's over, a man was sitting over here. He comes up to me and he said, the things that God has done in that man's life are amazing. That was his word. Amazing. I said, yes, glory to God. Last week, there were some folks here who told me they were here by accident. And, and I kind of smiled and I said, no, you aren't. And they said, you're right. God wanted us to be here. And they said, your service blessed us. And they told me they were pleasantly surprised. They did not expect to be blessed in our service. Because, you know, we, we have a reputation for loud music and silly videos and stuff like that. And, and they said, God blessed us. But every week, there are people who come and, and sit here. And they leave and they hate our music. They hate our videos. They hate my preaching. And they go, those people don't know jack. And they go out and they mock. Happens week in, week out. Just like it did in New Testament times. Some were amazed and some were mark, mocking. Now, if you're a Christian, here's what i got to ask you right here. Just quick time out. Has anybody ever been amazed by your life? And I don't mean amazed by your house. I don't mean amazed by your job or your car or your motorcycle. <laughs> James has a motorcycle and I'm jealous. The rule is, if you're on staff, you can't have anything before me. Just kidding. <laughs> That's true. He doesn't have kids yet. Watch him give that up when he gets kids. But I mean, they look at, they look at your life and they go, there is something different about that woman. The way she carries herself, the way she talks. That man there, I, I don't know what's going on in his life, but there's something different about that man. Has that ever happened to you? If not, it's because you're not tapped into God's power. You have not... See, when, when you become a follower of Christ, the Bible says that you are given the gift of the Holy Spirit. So that's a one-time event. You are given and, and all of the Holy Spirit that you're ever going to get, you get then. But... You can be filled with the Spirit or you can quench the Spirit. The only way to be filled with the Spirit is to obey God and give Him your life, confess sin. You quench the Spirit every time you choose to sin. Every time you know the right thing to do and don't do it, you are quenching the Holy Spirit. So He doesn't leave you. He doesn't depart from you if you're a believer. But He doesn't have power and He doesn't exercise His power on your behalf. Because you're not tapped into him. God only blesses obedience. God only gives power to obedient people. So if you are not experiencing that, I would ask myself, why? Now, this whole thing means the descenders, the, the, the Holy Spirit descended on believers. When you become a follower of Christ, God wants to invade your life and he wants to do some miraculous things. But you have to be open to that and obey what God tells you to do. So that's what this means. In the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit descends on believers. As Jesus ascended, He sends the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit descends. Those are things you got to remember. Jesus is gone. Now what? Holy Spirit becomes permanent. You have a job to do. You have power to do the job. Now, the third thing you need to know about Acts is real believers change. True followers of Christ experience life change. If you remember when, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, that's where he was praying the night before he was to be crucified. He takes his followers with him. He says, let's go pray. 
Jesus knew what was coming up. The other guys hadn't, caught, hadn't got it yet. Jesus leaves some of them here. He takes three on with him, Peter, uh, James, and John. And he says, y'all stay here. I'm going to go over here and pray. And Jesus goes and prays. He comes back. He finds the disciples sleeping. He says, couldn't you pray for one hour? And he said, my soul is perplexed. My soul is vexed to the point of death. He goes on and he prays so severely that he sweats drops of blood. And he says, God, if it is possible, let this cup, what cup? The cup of your sin and mine. Let this cup pass from me. But if, if it's not possible, your will, not mine. And then when he gets up the third time, he says, let's go, it's time. So they all go and Judas, by this time, Judas knew he was going to be out there praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. So he brings this mob and they have torches and they've got clubs, they've got weapons, all kinds of stuff, and they come to arrest Jesus. Now, other than Peter swinging, trying to kill the dude and hitting his ear and cutting it off. I think he just missed. I think he just horrible swordsman. He missed. Other than that, where were Jesus' followers after Jesus got arrested? They ran like little schoolgirls in a thunderstorm or pastors in a thunderstorm. They ran. They were nowhere to be found. But something miraculous happened between Jesus' death And this thing that happens here on Pentecost, two things happened that caused them to go from cowards to champions. Number one, they saw Jesus alive. Jesus shows up and he goes, hey, check this out. Here's the nail scars in my hand. Here's where the the spear passed through my side. And even doubting Thomas falls on his knees and says, oh, my Lord and my God. It rocked their world because they saw a dead man walking. Second thing was the Holy Spirit came into their lives and gave them power to do things they would never have been able to do otherwise. And they changed the world because of it. When Jesus resurrected from the dead, he validated every claim that he ever made. He said, I'll prove to you how powerful I am. I'll prove to you I'm God's son by coming back from the dead. These guys were rocked because of it. And then the Holy Spirit comes and he gives them power. And they were so, they were so changed that they said, I'd rather die than turn my back on Jesus. The night he was arrested, they ran. All but one of Jesus' 12, well, Judas killed himself and they they elected another one. All but one of Jesus' followers died a martyr's death. And most of them went to their death with a smile on their lips, with a song of praise in their hearts, saying, here I come, Jesus. The only things that can make that change is seeing Jesus resurrected from the dead, and the power of His Holy Spirit rocked their world. And, and, you know, by the way, every time a Christ follower has died a martyr's death since then, and, and there were some that died this week in Afghanistan, they were murdered because of their beliefs. Every time a Christ follower dies a martyr's death, God has used that not to, not to stop His kingdom from, from expanding. It has actually caused His kingdom to grow rapidly. Every time what God does is He fans into flame the ministry of those people. Because we don't understand this in America because we got freedom of religion. You go to a third world country, and some of us are going to Haiti in October. You go to a third world country, and in some countries you are not allowed. I was reading about some folks in China that they have to meet underground. They have to meet with nobody knowing. They come at separate times. And, and the, the guy, this American pastor that was preaching, they had to sneak him in. He had to put a hood over his head and they had to sneak him into this house so no one would know that he was not Chinese. 
And they stayed for hours and they know. And in fact, one of them said, we need to pray for this family because their dad was killed because he was leading a Bible study. Now, you go into that situation and you say, I'd rather die for Jesus Christ than turn my back on him. And in a communist country, you know what people are saying? If the government is so trying to stamp this out, but those people believe so much that they'd give their lives for him, maybe we should listen to what these people are saying. God always takes the blood of the martyrs and uses it to fan into flame the spread of his kingdom. And honestly, I think that the reason we're in such a sorry state in America is because we have freedom of religion and we take it for granted. That's another sermon. When Jesus gives you a job to do and you do that job with the Holy Spirit's power, do you know what the result is? People praise God. Worship happens. Spontaneous worship happens. How do you stop a movement where the, where the followers say, kill me, it doesn't matter, I'm still going to praise Jesus? You don't. And Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against my kingdom. Just a few people fired up for Jesus Christ will completely change Anderson County. If this church ever gets it, the gates of hell hell will not prevail. Lives will change and worship will happen. Worship's not just singing. A lot of people say, oh, let's worship and then let's listen to the boring guy. Let's worship... You can worship by giving. We do every week when when people go by those baskets. They're worshiping when they give. You worship by praying. You worship by serving. There's so many ways you can worship. And when you get tapped into God's power and people begin to be changed, it's addicting. Let me give you an example from Acts chapter 3. What happens when God moves? Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from people going into the temple. This dude was smart. If I'm ever begging, if I ever, you know, y'all kick me out, whatever, if I have to go beg, I'm going to find the biggest, richest church in town. I'm going to plant myself out there right before their worship services, and I'm going to say, please give to me. That's a smart dude. Sorry, just saying. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter and John looked at him intently. This is awesome. And Peter said, look at us. The man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I got nothing for you. Now, don't you dare do this. But just imagine you drive up to somebody at Walmart or somebody at some store and they're out there, we'll work for food. You roll down the window. Hey, look at me, look at me, look at me. And they look at you. Nah, I got nothing for you. And drive off. That is wrong. (laughs) No, you don't do that. But look what Peter does. He says, I don't have silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. Now, if Peter is broke, what can he possibly have that this broke dude needs? Broke dudes don't usually give things to broke dudes. If you remember, when Jesus left, he gave Peter a job to do. And then Jesus sent the Holy Spirit and he gave him power to do the job. Look what he does. 
but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Now, some of you are going to go, no stinking way, that's crazy, that you lost me. Uh-uh, that doesn't happen. Well, this only is impossible if you're not tapped into God's power. If you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, the very first four words in the Bible, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. There's four, I knew there were. In the beginning, God. If you believe that God created everything, that God spoke things into existence, then He can do anything And he did in this situation. And see, the Bible tells us in the beginning, God, and it tells us in the book of Revelation that he is the end. So God's in the beginning. God's in the end. God's in control. We exist between Genesis and Revelation. And if we tap into God's power, God does things through us. And if we do that, what happens? Lives will change and people will praise God. Look what happened to this dude. Verse 7. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. Stop right there. Man, born lame. I don't know if you've ever broken a bone and had to have a cast or whatever, but your muscles atrophy. You don't use them, you lose them. This dude never had any muscles in his legs and feet. He was born not able to walk. He's probably 30 to 40 by this time. We're just guessing. And what they do is they carry him out by the temple because he can't get anywhere by himself. Peter and John, yo, dude, I I don't have any cash. How about this? How about this? In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Holy cow, look what happens. Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. Dude stands up and the the, the ankles go... Legs go... They become muscular. How do I know? Look what happens next. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking and leaping and praising God, he went into the temple with them. He didn't need a bolt of lightning to hop up and down. He hadn't walked his whole life. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were what? Absolutely astounded. Jesus leaves and he says, I'm leaving, but I'm not leaving. I'm going to send you my Holy Spirit, my power. These believers with God's power changed from cowards to champions and folks started praising God. That's the intro to the book of Acts. I hope you don't have lunch plans because we're going to dig in. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. That, That is the intro, but we're going to stop there today. Now, here's what I want to challenge you to do. There are 28 chapters in the book of Acts. It's an incredible story. I want to challenge you over the next 28 days to read a chapter a day. Tomorrow, it's 26 verses. If you take up this challenge, 26 verses. You're going to get so much more out of this study of church as the way it should be if you will read along and give God the opportunity to speak into your heart. And then we're going to take this apart week by week and look at what church should be like. And a church done right the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I've always wanted to be part of an Acts 2 biblically functioning community. Let me show you what that is. People sold out, focused on Jesus. This real quick. These are your bullets there at the bottom, but I'm just going to run through these real fast. A person focused on Jesus connects with other believers. You were never meant to live alone. 
And, and you can read this on your own, Acts 2, 41 through 47, but it says, they joined with other believers. Second thing, a, a person focused on Jesus serves. They shared everything they had. If you're not serving, you're not growing. They gave and they served. And, and let me tell you, my, my next door neighbor is Wes Canaday. And, and I've experienced just a little bit of this, this sharing everything. Tools, cars, whatever. We have this little thing, hey, what are you doing? And that's code word for whatever you're doing, drop it because I need your help. He called me the other day, what are you doing? I was about to go dancing with my wife, ballroom dancing. You can make fun of me if you want to, my wife likes it. And she thinks I'm hot when I dance and that's all that matters. I don't care. With two T's, hot with two T's. Guys, never mind. Let me just say this. If you, yes, I went. Well, I, I, said, I said, what do you need, dude? I'm about to head out. And he needed me to unload something from his car. I said, oh, no problem. Ran up there, unloaded from his car, went dancing. If you want to improve, let me just say this. This is the G-rated version. You want to improve certain aspects of your life, dance with your wife. That's all I'm saying. Third thing, someone focused on Jesus is devoted to learning. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Next thing. Someone focused on Jesus tells others about Jesus. Each day the Lord added to their group those that were being saved. Each day. I want to see that. I want to be a part of that someday. Where I just hear spontaneous reports. People call up. You won't believe what God did today. You won't believe this conversation I had. I want to be a part of that. Next thing is they've been baptized. They believed and were baptized. Let me just say this. Baptism is when you go public with your faith in Christ. If you've not been baptized, you need to be. Now, salvation is totally apart from that. You can, you can pray and receive Christ into your life and you go to heaven. But if you bail on the first commandment He gives you, which is to be baptized, to, to identify yourself with believers and, and to um, tell everyone that you're a follower of Christ, then don't expect the power of God to come on your life. Baptism doesn't save you, but it's an act of obedience. If you can't obey in that little thing, you're not going to obey in other things. Last thing is celebrates and worship. The Bible says, as they did all these things, a deep sense of awe came over them all. Do you think our band did a, a good job today? Now, let me, let me qualify that. Hang on, hang on. My definition of a good job is if they worship. Doesn't depend on you. Doesn't depend if you clap on the wrong beat like everybody did. <laughs> two and four is where we want you to clap. That's why Zach, you know, two and four. But, but that's okay. Today, as I stood there, I got caught up in where they were leading us. And in my mind, I caught visions of God. Worship is all about Him and not about me. Just because I clap my hands and tap my feet, shake my booty, does not mean I've worshipped. Worship is not about you. Worship is about God. So here's the thing. If somehow our music led you to encounter God today, you worshipped through the music. If somehow the message 
led you to encounter God. You worshiped through the message. I hadn't seen the legacy video. That, that actually came from, we're eight years old. That was about two years to about four or five years uh, of our church. And I saw my kids. I saw Hannah baptized. Hannah's 10. So that's four years ago, her baptism. I saw some of you serving with children. And I saw kids that are big now. And as I listened, I was sitting back there looking at it um, earlier this week. And tears came to my eyes. Because that, that video is church the way it should be.